Bible reading this morning is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 22 to 26. But first, let's pray for illumination. Lord, open our eyes that we may say wonderful things in your book. Lord, open our hearts that your truth would be our joy and our delight. Lord, open our minds that you would show us the way to live. For your word is a lamp to our feet and a light on our paths. Guide us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Revelation 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have noticed in recent years that uh, one of the most popular genres of entertainment are these dystopian stories uh, that feature total social collapse and the life of survivors on the other side. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? The, these are stories like The Last of Us, uh, The Walking Dead, The Road, World War Z. Am I the only one who's been watching these? The, the cause of the calamity varies. You know, it may be zombies or disease or environmental disaster, but they all share a, a post-apocalyptic vision for life on the other side of the catastrophe. In addition to their entertainment value, which varies from show to show, I believe that these dramas are asking a profoundly theological question. What is truly lasting? If you strip away the comforts and the benefits of modern life and society, what is left that makes us human? What really matters? My favorite show in this genre uh, from a couple of years ago is called Station Eleven. And the premise of Station Eleven is that a flu pandemic uh, wipes out most of the human race. Very cheerful, I know. Uh, not relevant at all. Uh, and this pandemic leads to the total collapse of civilization. But most of the story takes place 20 years after the, the disaster, and it focuses on a small group of survivors who formed a theater troupe uh, called the Traveling Symphony. And this nomadic group of actors and musicians uh, travel around the Midwest, making a circuit around the Great Lakes, from one small settlement to another, performing Shakespeare plays and classical music. I love the vision of this story and, and the way it answers uh, that theological question that I mentioned. What will be left after everything has collapsed? Uh, the answer uh, this show gives is 
Human beings will still make art. Shakespeare survives the apocalypse. This story came to mind uh, because it's been in our, our habit over the past few years to focus on Labor Day weekend on themes of work and faith. And so we're taking a break from our, our David series this week uh, to do that. And, and the idea behind this conviction uh, that we have here at Geneva is that the gospel shapes the, the whole of our lives. Uh, that it doesn't just give us inner peace or influence our family life, but that it also influences how we live in the world. And in particular today, I want to consider how the Christian story shapes how we do our work. And this is another way of asking, what do we believe is truly lasting? What really matters? And as we think about this theme today, I want to focus on this image that we're given at the very end of the Bible, you know, the second to last chapter of the book of Revelation, uh, where it says that the kings of the earth bring their glory into the of work. And there are three things. It shows us why our work is lasting, why our work is meaningful, and why our work is, in the end, worth it. So let's look at each one of these. Let's begin with why our work is lasting. The book of Revelation is a very rich text, and we're looking at just a, a very small part here where the Apostle John gives us a vision of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And this apocalyptic vision shows us the ultimate Christian hope. Not just that we will escape a broken and corrupt world in order to live with God in heaven, but that God will bring heaven to earth. Uh, that he will dwell with us in a renewed creation. And this text is rich with symbolism. The light represents God's presence infusing the city and its people. Now, the gates are open always, uh, indicating that the security of this city that is free from threats. You know, darkness is always associated with danger, and that's why there will be no night there. Uh, earlier in the chapter, the, the dimensions of the city are described as forming a perfect cube, uh, which matches the dimensions of the temples, holy of holies, uh, into which the high priest would enter just once a year. And uh, John says that he saw no temple in the city because now the holy of holies is the whole city. Uh, in the future, God's uh, presence, his immediate presence, will be accessible uh, to all. And uh, in this picture, the kings represent humanity itself, bringing into the city the very best that human beings have to offer. So the New Jerusalem is the place where God and humanity meet, fulfilling God's original intention for the creation. The Bible story begins in a garden, and it ends in a garden city. And just as cities in, in our world today are, are places for the flourishing of, of human creativity and culture, this city is filled not just with God's glory, but with the glory of human beings. The, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. This doesn't only mean that they will submit to God's rule, but that they bring the gifts of human culture and creativity into God's city. This is a remarkable affirmation 
of the goodness of creation that continues on quote, uh, in creation. Now listen to how uh, Richard Bauckham describes it. I put this quote uh, in, the, in the bulletin on page four, and he describes this vision like this. He says, in the beginning, God had planted a garden for humanity to live in. In the end, he will give them a city. In the new Jerusalem, that the blessings of paradise will be restored. But the new Jerusalem is more than paradise regained. As a city, it fulfills humanity's desire to build out of nature a human place of human culture and community. True, it is given by God and so comes down from heaven. But this does not mean humanity makes no contribution to it. It comes from God in the sense that all good comes from God. And all that is humanly good is best when acknowledged to come from God. The new creation, like the old, will have its own God-given beauty, but will be even more beautiful through its evident reflection of God's own splendor. Similarly, the nations and the kings will enjoy their own glory, all the goods of human culture, the more through dedicating it to God's glory. This way of understanding uh, the New Jerusalem has enormous implications for how Christians should think about their work. Our work is lasting in ways that we cannot even begin to comprehend. Whenever we are contributing to what is good and true and beautiful in this world, we participate in God's own great renewal and restoration project. And he write in his uh, book, Surprised by Hope, that Ellen Monti is leading a discussion of, uh, he puts it like this. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, all of this will making the present life into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. So if everything we do has the potential of participating in eternity, and not just what we do in church, uh, this changes the way our work is meaningful. And this is our our second point today, uh, why our work is meaningful. As the kings and the nations bring their glory and honor into the city, they're bringing themselves as worshipers. They no longer claim for themselves uh, an independence from God, uh, a glory for themselves that's independent of him, but they acknowledge that all glory belongs to God, and they dedicate their earthly glory to him. When our work is about our own achievements, Uh, it's often only meaningful in terms of what we get out of it, whether it's recognition or compensation or just the pleasure and enjoyment of our labor. And these things have their place, of course, but they become idols when they are what we're working to achieve in themselves. Uh, When we take this approach, when things go well, when we get the recognition that we feel we deserve or when we feel good about our work, then we feel that what we're doing is rich and and meaningful. But when things don't go well, when we fail 
or it's just hard work without a lot of fruit, we can feel that it's pointless and that it's meaningless. The gospel gives us a different point of view. Uh, The gospel invites you to dedicate everything that you do to the glory of God. And when you take this approach, it gives you a different perspective on both the good and on the bad. The meaning and the purpose of your work uh, is independent of you. When we make our work about our own glory alone, uh, it becomes thin and empty. It can't sustain the, the weight that we put on it. But if you see your work in the perspective of eternity, you'll both be humbled about it and see it in proper perspective, and you'll be empowered to, to give yourself to it wholly. You'll be, you'll be humble because you're able to see it for what it is, which for, for most of us, a lot of the time, is, is the monotonous hard work of, of changing diapers or grading another set of papers or going to class or, or writing another line of code. Uh, you'll have the right expectations about what to expect from your work. At the same time, you'll have a confidence and, and a faith that what you're doing uh, is contributing to God's, the goodness of God's creation and even his new creation in ways that you don't fully comprehend. Not just in what you produce, but in how you do it, how you treat your coworkers or your employees, your students, or your collaborators. If you believe that this world has a creator, then our creative work is always in response to his creation and new creation. This doesn't mean that we have no responsibility, but that we exercise our responsibility in response to God's calling on our lives. God creates and we are created, and we find our most authentic humanity not when we create meaning for ourselves, but when we discover the meaning in relationship with our God's action in your life with your own faithful response. Notice how Paul holds these two ideas together, God's action and our response, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he writes this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says, stand firm and give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. When you have both of these together, uh, the results are powerful. On the one hand, The gospel gives you something solid to stand on in an uncertain world. Things may uh, feel out of control to us, but they're never out of control for God. He's revealed his commitment to this world by coming in the flesh, in the person and work of his son. He promises to come again in glory to make all things right. So your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your work has a meaning and a purpose even when you can't see it. Cornelius uh, Plantiga, in his book, uh, Engaging God's World, says that the the second coming of Christ and and the renewal of the creation that we've been talking about today is good news, uh, especially for those who do not have security or justice or hope. Uh, These are the people who cry out for God to bring the new Jerusalem now. If you are on the, the front lines in Ukraine or 
you've seen your community devastated by opioid addiction, or if you're grieving victims of injustice, then you want Jesus to return now. That, that promise that he will come again means something to you. The coming of the kingdom means the coming of the king who will make all things right. So Puentegas says that passionate Christians want the return of the Lord. They're looking for Jesus to come again. They want Jesus to come. He also says, so do compassionate Christians. Passionate Christians want Jesus to come, to come again, but so do compassionate Christians. If you're looking for the coming of the king, then you want what the king wants. If others are suffering from death or disease or suffering or hunger, then you will want to do whatever you can now to eradicate those things. You will weep with those who weep, and you'll hope with those who hope. If you believe that the coming king loves this world and affirms the creation that he's made, then you will be motivated to give your heart to improving it. You'll, you'll speak up for the voiceless, you'll organize, you'll serve the poor, you'll be involved in your city and in your neighborhood. But the way that you do these things will be different if you believe that it's only God who can bring the new Jerusalem from heaven. Uh, you won't assume uh, that you have all the answers. You'll listen to people who are different than yourself. You'll be patient, uh, not only with others, but with yourself. Because your confidence comes from God, uh, who promises to bring uh, this renewal and has a way of surprising us just when things look most bleak and dark. This brings us to our last point today. Why our work is worth it. You may have invested yourself deeply in something. Uh, your studies, a career, a business, a community, a child. And you may wonder what you've accomplished or what difference you've made. But if you will one day bring your glory and honor into the new Jerusalem, then you participate already in an eternal reality. We may only get imperfect glimpses of this future, but God promises to bring it in its fullness when Christ returns. In C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, there's a scene in the final book, uh, The Last Battle, that takes place in a new Narnia into which the residents of the old Narnia have been welcomed by the king, Aslan. And everything looks like what they knew in the old world, uh, but it's been transformed. And, and one of the characters, uh, Jewel the Unicorn, uh, cries out and says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for. Old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up, come further in. I love how he captures the, the continuity between our experience today and what is to come. And while we might see that imperfectly, our aim is to give life the shape of things to come. Not uncertain about what God is gonna do with our efforts, but confident uh, that he will bring them to completion and fulfillment 
in his new creation. This makes our work, with all its challenges, all its disappointments, it makes it worth it. But not just because Christians are promised that God will act in the future. There's good news for the present here, too. Notice in John's description of the New Jerusalem what he says in verse 23. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. I've always been fascinated by this image. The glory of God gives the light, but that light shines through the lamp. Uh, Who is the Lamb? The Lord Jesus. Do you see what this means? It means that the the glory of God that will fill the new heavens and the new earth is already shining now in the gospel of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you are seeing the glory of God whose light will fill the new Jerusalem. You are already standing in his light. If God's glory is revealed in the suffering, self-sacrificial love of Jesus, then it's his love that can infuse everything that we do and make it worthwhile, even through struggle and hardship, when we take up our crosses and follow him. If it's done in his name and in his love, then it's done to the glory of God and will contribute to the coming of his kingdom. Let me close with this. Uh, As you may have heard, uh, this past week was the 60th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, uh, given on August 28, 1963, at the March on Washington. And I've been thinking about a story that the artist Mako Fujimura tells about the speech. Uh, As King prepared for the speech, uh, he was exhausted by a series of setbacks, imprisonments, disappointments, And he was so physically worn down that he spent many hours just resting while his followers wrote the speech that he was to give at this historic gathering. And one of his close aides, Clarence Benjamin Jones, said that the logistical preparations for the march were so burdensome that the speech was not a priority for us. And on the evening of Tuesday, August 27th, Martin still didn't know what he was going to say. So after walking a few miles to the Lincoln Memorial, King stood to read his prepared text, but he knew that something wasn't wasn't right. Standing behind King uh, throughout the speech was Mahalia Jackson, uh, the great gospel singer, uh, who had sung right before he spoke. As he read his text, she kept on yelling in the background, "Tell tell them about the dream, Martin, tell them about the dream. So at the end of the prepared speech, what he had written down, Dr. King put down his text, he looked out at the crowd, and he began to speak impromptu. The energy of the crowd listening empowered him, and the result was the the I have a dream that we know today. Mako Fujimura loves how it's the artist, uh, Mahalia Jackson, behind the preacher uh, who encouraged King into his vision. We need something similar in our own lives. From our artists, yes, who have a unique ability to capture our longings, our hurts, and our hopes. But each of us are called to be these encouraging voices 
for one another. So that when we are discouraged or despairing that this world with all its evil and brokenness really will be transformed into a home of justice and goodness and truth, that everything sad will come untrue and that God will wipe every tear from every eye, we can encourage one another on to keep going. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for uh, your creative power in this world, for the, the evident beauty that we see uh, of your goodness and your power all around us. We thank you for that experience. Uh, we also lament the ways in which uh, your creation has been twisted and broken by injustice and by the power of evil. And we pray that you would empower us as your servants by your spirit uh, to dedicate ourselves uh, to the renewal of all things. Uh, we pray that you would give us a vision of Jesus as the lamp of your glory and that we would know that as we stand in his light and as we share his light, uh, that you are at work. Uh, we uh, can, amen, pray for your power to be made perfect in it. In Jesus' name, amen.